1: This is Jenna Ellis in the
0: Morning. Good morning and happy Friday, the first Friday of the new year and happy new year. If this is the first time you are tuning in because you are just getting back into the swing of things, <laughs> that's uh, that's true I think for all of us for the new year and we take a lot of time off during the holidays to spend with uh, friends and family and uh, take some much, much needed rest. Um, that is a great example that uh, God started us off with, with creation week uh working 6 days and making sure that he rested on the 7th day which of course God himself doesn't need rest but it was a an example uh to us to always uh, make sure that we take time to rest and um and observe uh the, what was the Sabbath in Old Testament Israel and now in the church age um the Sabbath of course is uh looking forward to the eternal rest that we have In Christ Jesus. So we actually are celebrating the Sabbath every day as Christians, and we uh, go to church um, generally. A lot of people go Sunday mornings, but if you go uh, Wednesday night, Saturday, uh, whatever time you make to gather with the ecclesia, there is no command in Scripture that we have to meet on a specific day or observe a a specific day uh, for the Sabbath that was given to Old Testament Israel, but rather we are commanded to meet as the church and gather together frequently and that frequency means we are supposed to be in community together and making sure that we are exercising all of the one another's in scripture and to be accountable to one another, to exhort one another in the truth of God. And uh, really, that's what we do each and every morning uh, here on Jenna Ellis in the morning and at AFR is to encourage one another and sometimes exhort one another in the truth and uh, the truth in the things of God. And so as we see uh, the person of Jesus Christ as uh, the fulfillment of the foreshadowing that uh, was the Old Testament Sabbath, we still do uh, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy every day of our lives. And we should be consistently living in that eternal rest uh, in Christ because we are saved and we know that we have salvation through him. And um, And it's just a wonderful promise and a wonderful reminder of how we live our lives uh, in The each and every day. And even though we focus on uh, the civil government quite a bit, and there's a lot to focus on that is concerning, frankly, moving into uh, 2024, uh, not just in our national politics, but in geopolitics and, and foreign policy and everything going on in the world, uh, we need to view that through the lens of scripture and through the lens of truth. Um, that is what a worldview is. It is a lens by which we understand the times that we are living in. And if, um, if you are a person that is listening that is not saved uh, and has a secular framework or a worldview that is separate and apart from the truth and the things of God, then that will necessarily bias, and, uh, bias you and have a filter that is not conformed to the truth. And so for Christians, we need to make sure that we aren't just putting on our biblical worldview glasses every Sunday morning or Wednesday night but that we are consistently viewing everything in the world through the lens of truth and the lens of scripture. And so there are uh, powerful ways to be in the world, but not of the world. And um, this is actually an article that I was reading earlier this morning from, um, and it was from 2022, but it's still obviously relevant today because uh, the Bible speaks truth that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the Bible will always be relevant. It will always be timely. And uh, this is from RethinkNow.org, and it's titled Five Powerful Ways to Be in the World But Not of the World. And, uh, and it's a really great piece and starts out saying the phrase, be in the world but not of the world, is a common expression that's often quoted as scripture. Although the phrase itself doesn't appear in the Bible, the notion is consistent with what the New Testament teaches. The concept of being in the world but not of um, is really what the Apostle Paul was was admonishing. Um, but it, it's increasingly difficult for us. And yet, as this article says, it's becoming increasingly important. And so we need to understand what this means and how we can practically live it out. And so um this this goes on to cite uh, John 17:4 I have given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Of course, um quoting Jesus there and we are Um, not of this world. We know that the hope that we have is in the eternal presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, yet here we are in the now, and we are in the midst of an evil and fallen world and a government that is increasingly not conforming to the truth of God, not living in civil society, applying the principles of of God and of the Bible and eternal truth. So how do we live consistently with truth and yet remain in the world? Because we have to uh, live our daily lives uh, here in um, in the United States, in the state um, in which you live. You may live in a state that is like, for example, California, where it's even harder for Christians than it might be in Uh, Mississippi where AFR is located or um, here in Florida where I live it's actually easier to live out my Christian faith in Florida than it was in Washington DC for a lot of reasons and that includes not just um, the things that we encounter daily uh, but the world around us and um, governors and legislators and all types of government leaders really make a difference but as we look through the full counsel of God There are so many different examples of of uh, Christ followers, and in um, the Old Testament of God's followers, God's people, who um, some who lived in Old Testament Israel and they had um, every ability to have a truly uh, God centered society and civil society, and yet then there were some in Old Testament Israel that uh, had to encounter a secular or just truly pagan society, like in uh, Babylon, for example. And we talked a little bit yesterday. If you missed that program, um, go back and listen to it at AFR.net. You can always find um, all of the rebroadcasts on AFR.net. And um, I had mentioned Uh, Old Testament Israel being exiled into Babylon and how uh, God in uh, Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, the the prophet Jeremiah admonished his people to pray for the nation because the welfare of the nation uh, will dictate our welfare. And those leaders, I mean, King Nebuchadnezzar, all of those, uh, all of the Babylonians were evil. It was a pagan society. So how do you live rightly and according to the truth of God? In a pagan society, well, Daniel um, and had a wonderful example. He just continued to do every day what God commanded, and it didn't matter uh, whether the edicts changed. And uh, and and one day there was a, an edict that said um, you'll have to bow down to this um, golden idol and you have to declare uh, the king as God. He he didn't shrink back and say, "Well, I'm just going to pray then in private. I'm not going to get caught." Um, he didn't go overboard and, you know, go and, and try to go, you know, destroy the idol and say, you know, here I am as a, as a Christian and I'm and a God follower and I'm going to uh, make sure that you all know it and kind of, you know, rub it in your face. He just continued to do every day what God commanded, which was doing the same thing he had done every day previously. He prayed uh, by his window. So he was seen by the public, but he was in the privacy of his own home and he prayed to God. And, and that ultimately led to one of the greatest examples of, uh, of living out your faith and literally going into the lion's den. A lot of, um, of modern day pastors will use that as an analogy to say, you know, if you're going into the lion's den. But um, that wasn't his choice to go into the lion's den. It was actually an act of, um, of punishment by a pagan evil Government system uh, in his day that forced him there, and and then God uh, ultimately rescued him. And we may never experience perfect justice in our uh, society and in our modern day. There are a lot of things that are unjust, and we are not guaranteed uh, salvation from an imperfect uh, system or from evildoers in this day. But what we are guaranteed is ultimate justice when we get to heaven. And for the Christian, we don't have to fear justice because we have been rightly positioned in front of the Lord because of our salvation through Christ and because of him paying the penalty for our sin. So we don't fear justice. And that is also what uh, Romans 13 alludes to, saying that those who are, are in right standing with government don't ever fear the authorities. Um, and that's assuming, of course, that's predicated on those authorities enacting justice, but sometimes authorities don't. And and there have been a lot of authorities Um, that we've seen over the last year, especially, that have weaponized government. And we need to talk about that. And we will continue to talk about that into 2024 and beyond about um, the weaponization of government and about our current government system that is not expressing a truthful, just uh, worldview in law and in policy. And we should uh, rightly call that out, but we also have to understand how to live as Christians, even when our society does not reflect the truth of God. And how do we do that? Well, first and foremost, we continue to live rightly and live in truth and make the best decisions according to the truth of God and promoting truth that we possibly can. Um, and and a, a lot of um, a lot of you, I mean, not not a ton, but a lot of you have um, have asked me. Uh, By the way, personally, about, you know, everything that I went through last year um, in terms of um, the the whole post-Trump thing. And I want to take just a moment to say um, to all of you that I am not permitted by the court to talk about that case on media. So obviously on this radio show until after the conclusion of all co-defendants' cases. So that's why I haven't addressed this. And unfortunately, that has led to a lot of misinformation and speculation that I'm not able to correct. And that, frankly, has been a challenge for me um, to simply rely on the Lord and not to seek to defend my own reputation or that misinformation or the very sincere questions that some of you have asked, but to simply say that I am walking in truth and um, I will continue to walk in truth. And continue to rely on the Lord and um, make the, the best decisions um, according to uh, Scripture that I possibly can. And so, um, so even though you know sometimes there are there are questions, there are um, I mean I'm no stranger to to people just putting out total complete lies um, about me on you know all kinds of fronts, um, and, and not all of those even if I can address them. Um, are even worth addressing because a lot of times if you end up addressing all of the lies that people say about you and especially um, the more prominent you become for example in your church I know there are a lot of pastors that deal with this that in their community of their church there are so many um, lies or rumors or gossip or other things and if all you did was spend time addressing the lies and the falsehoods about you, then you wouldn't be doing the work of the Lord. And so when I can, when I'm able to, I'm happy to, um, you know, to answer any questions about, um, about my life, about, you know, anything. Um, But, but until then, um, I'm simply doing the work that God has for me. And, um, and I'm very grateful and appreciative to our AFR family, um, for all of you who understand that and who still um, support uh, me and encourage me in my faith and in my walk with God. And, um, you know, what is public record um, is that the plea itself is not a conviction. It's what's called a deferred adjudication. So I haven't been convicted of anything. That is one uh, myth that I can dispel. And so in a uh, 36 months, uh, the plea will be withdrawn and the court will hold me as fully exonerated. And I'm simply required to testify truthfully at any further uh, proceedings and, um, and that full plea hearing is available uh, to the public. You can go and watch it if you would like to on the court's YouTube channel. Um, but other than that, um, you know, moving forward into the new year, my purpose is to simply fulfill the ministry that God has given me. And as we continue to live in an increasingly secular society, uh, we have to remember that we can still advocate the truth. We can still promote the truth. And we can still live rightly, even in a society while it was founded on the Judeo-Christian worldview that has gotten so far off that we can try to elect good leaders, to admonish our leaders, and to continue ultimately to pray for this nation. And to continue to live our Christian faith openly, sincerely, and with the purpose of sharing our faith. So coming up next, I'm going to talk with my good friend Eric Metaxas and his book, The Letter to the American Church, which is also going to be a movie later on this year. So stay tuned for that. And this is going to be a really important conversation on the philosophy of government and focusing on freedom in our government. If you're like most of us, you're paying way too much for healthcare. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the healthcare needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors. ...without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health share ministry serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend to chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with any time enrollment.
1: Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning.
0: Good morning, and welcome if you are just joining us here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. I'm Jenna Ellis, and so excited to have my good friend and your new best friend, Eric Metaxas, who of course is a speaker and radio host himself. He is on the Salem Podcast Network as well with the Eric Metaxas Show. So good morning, Eric Metaxas.
1: Well, good morning to you. What a blessing to be with you. Thank you.
0: Yeah, so excited to have you. And you know, for people who, um, I'm sure everyone is familiar with you, but um, I have to tell a a personal story, of course, um, introducing you. So for those of you who've read Eric's books, of course, Bonhoeffer is uh, probably his most well read. He's had some great biographies. Um, He was initially um, involved in Veggie Tales, for those of you who don't know. But I first met Eric back when I was teaching uh, in Colorado at Colorado Christian University. Eric, you came uh, to to speak at a Centennial Institute event where, um, I'm still a fellow with the Centennial Institute and, um, Eric came and spoke and I was responsible for, uh, taking him back and forth from, uh, his hotel to campus and back. And on the way back, if you remember this, Eric, uh, there oh. was an accident on the freeway, like there always is in Colorado. It's ridiculous. Um, but there was an accident and we were stuck in traffic. It was really late at night. And there was an ambulance that went down uh, the side, and you go, 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 just follow the ambulance, get in the other lane, you know, and then drive like a New Yorker. And I was like, oh, this is what happens <laughs> in New York. And that was my first, um, and not only, but it was my first exposure to how the New York life and how Eric Metaxas' <laughs> crazy fun life is. <laughs> so.
1: That sounds like the most, the most carnal thing I've ever done in my life. I apologize. That is so funny. <laughs> Well, because you know they they say ambulance chasers, right? If you're a right. lawyer, you put you, and which you are, you know you 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 call the worst kind of lawyer. Say he's an ambulance chaser. But I thought in this case, you get behind that ambulance, and you're just going to hit no traffic. It was it was pure practicality, and I'm ashamed of it. Thank you for bringing that up.
0: <laughs> well, you know you're welcome. And so of course, I'm a hard charging
1: because... New Yorker. <laughs>
0: yes, a, that is a.
1: It's always funny, Jenna, because. You know, I, I never would remember that, but it's so funny. It's like a, it's, it's a good reason to think about the fact that the, the, the stuff that you say and do, There are pe- I write about this all the time, right? You have all these heroes that I write about, and you realize that each one of us, whatever you're doing in your life, people are watching you for good or for ill, and it's just so fascinating to me. When people remind me of things that happened 10 years ago, I think I never would have remembered that, but obviously it spoke to you that Eric's a hard-charging New Yorker. There's good and there's bad in that. But the fact is, now that you mention this, I do remember it, and it just cracks me up. Thank you.
0: Yes, and and that's so well said and reminds us all as Christians that we always need to be treating every interaction as though we are testifying to the truth of the gospel of Christ. None of us, um, especially me included, will ever be uh, the perfect example of that. But you're so right that people will remember things and interactions that we won't, that we'll think, Oh, that was just, you know, a regular Tuesday, but maybe for them, that was one of the most important uh, parts of their life. You know, my, my good friend, Dan Bongino, Um, told me one time, he said, you know, every interaction that you have with someone who wants to come up and say hi to you, wants to, you know, pray with you, wants to talk to you, um, for you, it might just be 30 seconds, but for them, they might've been waiting the whole day to talk to you. And that, um, that was That's something right. that, yeah, that really, I I hadn't thought about in that way before. Um, and so that goes hand in hand with what you're saying. Um, but Eric, first I, I want to get your uh, perspective on the future of the GOP, what's happening? Uh, in this speaker race really quickly, and then I want to get to an even more important conversation, which is the state of the church today.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, you know, we have to put our cards on the table. We are living through a war, and many of us were asleep for a long time. We did not realize how bad things were. We did not realize that genuine evil is at work in our time, undermining uh, the American founder's vision of this country. They've been working silently like termites. And because of Trump, in a way, things began to get disrupted and people began to wake up. And I think that we now know that a lot of the people in the Republican Party that we thought were generally on our team could not care less about the founder's vision, about the little people, we the people who vote. It's called America. They don't care. They care about their own power. Some of them are purely nefarious. Others are just ignorant, power-hungry, drifting along the way people do. And I, and I think it is very healthy, by the, God, by, by the grace of, of God, that we are waking up and we're dealing with the fact that people like Mitch McConnell, for example, you realize that guy, um, when it suited him, he would go along. He helped Trump in many ways, but the minute it didn't suit him, he just turned right around, and uh, he and his wife <laughs> criticized the president. In other words, there are people that are basically in love with power. They have forgotten the founder's vision that we are to serve the people, and so – the disruption that's happening right now it is a very healthy sign uh it can go wrong we have to be careful but it is a tremendously healthy sign i think people have prayed for decades that we would have this kind of disruption and that we would begin to uncover who is really serving the people who gets it who cares and who doesn't and and i think that the battle over uh Kevin McCarthy right now is a classic example of that. Finally, somebody, some group of people are willing to stand up and say, hey, we're looking for this in a speaker. If you're not going to be that, get out. And so to me, um, if McCarthy ends up being speaker, he understands that he better get it right. He better fight for what most people in America want him to fight for. Uh And so I don't know how it's going to turn out, but uh, I am glad that this is happening right now. Obviously, uh, Ronna McDaniel has to go uh, as the head of the RNC. There are a lot of people in yes. there that they're worse than useless, and so something really healthy is happening right now.
0: Yeah, very well said. And uh, we're talking with Eric Metaxas, who's the host of The Eric Metaxas Show on Salem Podcast Network, also on the radio. And you've read, I'm sure, um, a lot of his books. And Eric, I agree with you. And I think this is a very good thing. And when you're talking about People in elected office who value their own power and their chameleon sort of attitude where you saw them standing up for President Trump and his policies when it suited them. And then, of course, when it didn't, uh, maybe during the first impeachment, the second impeachment, you had people like Kevin McCarthy even, who first impeachment, he was pretty strong. And then the second impeachment, he stood on the floor of Congress and and basically said that President Trump was responsible for what happened on January 6th. And so you have this uh, manipulation of, of what el- the elected offices should be, which is, as you say, to serve the American people. So how do we get back to holding our elected officials accountable when so many people, and I know so many listeners um, who are across America right now are thinking, okay, but I only have one vote. And I may not have a large Twitter account. I may not have Kevin McCarthy's number on speed dial. How can we best invest as Christians in our culture and in politics um, to affect that kind of change?
1: Well, I mean, the first thing that I would say is you have to keep your eyes on the Lord, because each of us has a different role to play. Not not everyone is going to do the same thing. When you know, when I speak about. Uh, you know, the people that I've written about, uh, William Wilberforce, Bonhoeffer. Th- there's not going to be another William Wilberforce, not going to be another Bonhoeffer. You have to be you. We have to look at the sphere we have around us and worry about what is God calling me to do? Is the Lord calling me to run for the school board? Is the Lord calling me to take my kids uh, out of that school and to homeschool them? What is God calling me to do today, tomorrow? And If every one of us will do that, everything will change. Now, the question of, you know, sometimes a lot of us follow politics like sports. And and I think there are some people, they have to follow politics less. They have to stop, you know, acting as though watching what's going on in this battle or that battle is going to affect the world. I mean, you and I, to some extent, have to do that. But I I think that if everyone will do what God calls them to do, now— Part of that is being a good citizen, and I think that's the biggest thing that I suffered over the decades. We've all gotten this lie, this memo that it doesn't matter what I do. I just need to pay my taxes and, and keep my head down. It's like, no, 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 no. If you want to be a free citizen, and I wrote about it in my book, If You Can Keep It. If You Can Keep It is when Benjamin Franklin was asked, what are, what are you giving us there in the Constitutional Convention? Dr. Franklin, what did you pull off in that building in the summer of 1787? Did you give us, you know, the first actual republic in the history of the world that's going to function with self government, people government? Is that even possible? Or did he give us a monarchy, a, you know, a good monarchy? Maybe it's not King George III. Maybe it's George Washington, a different monarchy with some checks and balances. What did he give us? And he said, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. And the idea is, Every single citizen has to keep the republic has to pay a price. It's kind of like when we talk about well, I got a tithe in my church well, why? it's a principle that that you have to you have to pay into the system you are part of it it is you are the one that is responsible for the church being the church and and if you just sit back and say, well I don't have to do anything, I'll let the priest or let the pastor or let the you've missed it. The same thing goes with with being a patriotic American citizen. If you want freedom, you have to pay into it. You have to live into it. You have to, you know, whether it's serve on a jury, get involved in, 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 in voting, definitely vote, pay attention. Every one of us in a free republic, uh, if you want to govern yourself, you have to do more than just vote. And there are many people that don't even vote. They're, they're so pure that they won't vote for somebody who is not, you know, on the elder board of their church. That's sick thinking. That is not biblical thinking. It's not American thinking. So every single American has to do something with your time, with your money. You have to care about freedom in the same way that you care about the church being the church. This is a biblical principle. And I think. I'll never forget when George W. Bush said, you know, with the, with the war on terror, everybody just needs to get back to shopping. Well, part of that sends a message like, hey, listen, we've got, you know, professional military. You just do your thing. Don't worry about it. And I thought to myself, well, that's not the that's not America. America is if we're in a, in a, in a war on a foreign soil, everyone needs to think, do I need to enlist? Is there anything I can do for the war effort we need to be in that mode that we are all in this together and only by by god's grace can we prevail but every single one of us has a job to do so some of it is to be really political uh but 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 sometimes uh you don't have that in your sphere but you have a voice you have social media what are you sharing on social media is you sharing pictures of kitty cats or are you sharing pictures uh uh, or are you sharing things, important stories and things like that? So I just say to everybody, we've all got to be involved in our sphere. And, and And for every single person, that is going to be different. But the question whether you should be involved, that's not a question. We need to be more involved. If every American who loves this country will get involved and will speak and will do different things, everything will change. And that, to me is where we are now. We are, we're waking up to the fact that I have a role, even if it's a small role, I better take it seriously.
0: Yeah, and so well said, Eric Metaxas. And, you know, it reminds me of the three spheres of government that God ordained, which of course is Uh, the civil government, the family government, and the church government. And so often we think of involvement in our civil society so much more than we think about exercising our freedoms when we are in our church uh, system and our family system. And if more Christians would be more attenuated and invested and part of the church and the family – then the government would shrink back down to that's the right. size that it should right. originally uh, was intended to be that it should
1: exactly. be exactly and and exactly. we have no, that's this exactly right, yeah yeah,
0: and we have this like weird myopic focus on saying, well, the government should solve all my problems, and you know the leftists have this idea of the collective and the collective good, where we have a very interesting tension of wanting. collective good in terms of america as a whole as a nation as a society we all are investing in that but we also have individual rights and freedoms and the right to pursue happiness means the right to exercise our god-given rights in the way that he is calling us to exactly as you describe and if people would understand that tension And not just say we'll get involved as as some kind of esoteric concept, but to say that involvement genuinely means doing what God has for us daily in our jobs, whether or not that's in politics, in our churches, which is mandatory in the Bible, and in our families. We are all part of a family unit and to focus on the church and the family so that government can be smaller. So I'm talking with my good friend, Eric Metaxas. He's host of the Eric Metaxas Show and the podcast on Sam Podcast Network. He's going to join us again after the break. And I want Eric to talk to you about the golden triangle of freedom that you so eloquently describe in your book. We'll be right back with Jenna Ellis in the morning. Last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saw over 58,000 babies saved. Thank you to all who made this possible. Let's celebrate these precious baby. Dominique really struggled with her faith when she found out she was pregnant. She didn't know how she could carry her baby to term, but she called on God for help and asked for a sign. That's when she ran into who she calls her guardian angel on the steps of the abortion clinic. This man told her there is a better way, and he walked her across the street to a preborn network clinic. When she saw her beautiful baby on ultrasound and realized that he was an actual person living inside of her, the answer became loud and clear. She chose life for her precious son. Each of these babies are truly miraculous and every day Preborn celebrates 200 miracles. $28 a month can be the difference between the life and the death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection that doubles the baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help mothers choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com speaking truth
1: with love this is jenna ellis in the morning
0: welcome back to jenna ellis in the morning and good morning to those who are just joining i am so blessed to have my good friend eric metaxas joining me today to talk about freedom and liberty and what it means to exercise our rights in our american society and how we do that so you know eric from The Eric Metaxas Show. You can find him at ericmetaxas.com. And he, of course, has written a host of books. And two of my favorites, Eric, are If You Can Keep It and your brand new book, Letter to the American Church. So I want to talk about both of those. And one of the things that was new for me that unlocked a, a great way of thinking about liberty was how you describe this golden triangle of freedom in your book, If You Can Keep It. So what is that and why is it important?
1: Well, first of all, I stole that idea from my dear friend, Oz Guinness. I'll never forget when he talked about this. It's, this happens to me a lot where somebody will say something, I'll read something and I'll spin my head around and I'll think, wait a minute, Wait a minute. Are you? How have I never heard this before? This is mind blowing. This changes everything. Am I the only one that missed this? And then I realized, no, nobody's heard of this. And then I started getting angry and I think, wait a minute. We have to tell the world. We've just discovered something. I've discovered something. And when Oz Guinness talked about this, I even remember asking him, I said, Oz, have you written about this? Have you spoken about it? He, you know, he's British, he's English. He, He's 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 diffident and 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 humble. And I said, listen, I got to get this idea out to the world more than he has, because he's, of course, written about it. But I eventually wrote my book, If You Can Keep It, which I was referencing. And in that book, which I wish I could give to every single American, because I always always think like if if, if everybody understood this, it would change the country because we have spent 50 years not teaching this stuff not hearing this stuff in the culture, but at the heart of the idea, the Golden Triangle of Freedom, I'll say it quickly and then I'll explain it. The Golden Triangle of Freedom is an idea that Osgin says all the founders understood this idea, but Oz is the one that, that shaped it as this term, the Golden Triangle of Freedom. And so Golden Triangle of Freedom is basically that liberty, which really is the same thing as self-government, which is why we have to really understand what is liberty, what is freedom. Self-government, and liberty requires virtue every one of the founders understood this benjamin franklin thomas jefferson there was none of of founders that did not understand that what they were talking about in terms of this self-government liberty freedom that it could be possible without virtue they all understood it most of them wrote about it i quote them in the book if you can keep it because they said listen If the government is not forcing you to do X, Y, or Z, why would you do it? Well, you'll only do it if you have virtue. If you say, I'm not going to steal because I believe stealing is wrong. I don't need a, a, a policeman to keep me from stealing. I don't need a threat. I will do the right thing on my own. That's called virtue. So they all understood freedom requires virtue. They also understood that virtue requires faith. Why are you virtuous? Well, most people would do the right thing and be virtuous because they have some kind of faith that says, I, I fear God. I care about God says stealing is wrong. God says lying is wrong. Corruption is wrong. Uh, so I will do these things and I will be virtuous. But the founders said this almost always comes from faith. So but the key piece to close the triangle So freedom requires virtue, virtue requires faith, but faith in term requires freedom, because the government can't force faith. The government can't force people to have a quiet time and go to Bible study and go to church, because they used to have that in Europe. Everybody in this country has to go to this church or be a member of the Church of England or be a member of the Catholics. The founders said, no, faith has to arise freely, otherwise it's not real faith. So they gave us freedom of religion, and they said, we believe, that if the people choose rightly and they have real faith, it's going to be a beautiful, vibrant faith. It's not going to be a dead faith that they go they go to that church or they sign that document because the government tells them to. It's going to come from within. It's going to be real faith. There will be real virtue and real self-government and around and round it goes. When I understood this, I said, this is something that should be taught in every single school in America. Every American needs to understand this is why for two and a half centuries, we've been able to be free. And to the extent that we've forgotten this idea, we've ceased to be free. And that is exactly where we are now. So I, I put it in that book. I talk about it.
0: Yeah, and uh, and we, we may have a problem with Eric's line, but uh, just to take over with, with that, the golden triangle of freedom, as so eloquently stated, Eric, um, and I think we have you back, Um, But this to me, when this idea was unlocked and when I first read about it in your book, and I'm so grateful you wrote that book, if you can keep it so that you could give this idea to the masses and to reach people like me, um, I understood this in a way that put in perspective what self-government actually means in context. Because how this is taught, if it's taught... And where the issue of, for example, the difference between conservatism and libertarianism comes in is that a lot of people think self-government means the ability to determine for myself what is the measurable difference between right and wrong. So therefore, self-proclaim what virtue means and excise from civil society Any element of faith. So this idea that self-government means every man can do what's right in his own eyes, we then don't have meaningful, objective virtue, and we don't have faith. Because virtue, why virtue requires faith is because if it's truly virtuous, if it's truly good, we have to have an objective definition and a measurable difference between good and evil from an objective source that's outside of man. And so when we explain our self-government society as, well, my truth versus your truth, then we get (laughs) into a subjective notion of virtue, which is exactly what both parties, the Democrats and the Republicans, unfortunately, are pushing for today. So this should be taught in schools, but this also needs to be taught in the churches. Why aren't churches teaching self-government?
1: Well, actually, that's the thing, Jenna. You're you're talking about something. The government cannot force this, right? Now, this this is true, but the government can never force people to get the truth. So they they can encourage it, but it has to be free. It has to be taught in schools. It has to be taught uh, in the media, in the culture, in the films that we watch, and definitely in the churches – and around the family tables so that everyone knows these things. Because if you have a country where people don't understand this, it goes away. And so just as you're saying, these truths, most people – I mean, today, if you want to talk about the transgender issue, most people with any common sense understand a man can never become a woman, a woman can never become a man. That's a joke. People talk about it like it's a thing. If you work on a farm, if you have any common sense, you understand – this is just looniness, right? And, and I think that most of the ideas that make us free, they come from common sense, they come from reality, and ideologues often try to twist these things away. So we, the people, have to reassert ourselves and say, no, good is good, and right is right, and true is true. And we, we have to understand that that is a part of what it is to be free. So when you have a libertarian's talking about, well, freedom really means just we can all do whatever we want to do without harming people. You think, well, no, that's going to break down. We're not going to have freedom. So inevitably, virtue and faith are at the heart of what we call American-style government. We can't force people to go to church with us, but we, we, we can't stop talking about these things. We have to help most people understand that whether you like it or not, There's this thing called reality. It was created by God, and truth emanates from it. And this has to be part of the warp and woof of the culture. And most of that ought to be coming out of churches. And that brings us to the new book that I wrote, Letter to the American Church, where I say many churches have completely abdicated their role shamefully, horribly. And if you want to know why the country is speeding to hell – It is because churches have stepped back and said, oh, I'm going to stay in my lane. My lane's a theological lane. Baloney. If you believe in the God of truth, you bring Jesus into every sphere of life, including politics, including education and media, and all those kinds of things. And I make the parallel in the book, Letter to the American Church, that this is exactly the mistake the church made in Germany in the 1930s. Good pastors got this wrong, and the country and the world was thrown into a satanic mess like we've never seen. That's what's happening in America today, and that's why my message in Letter to the American Church is directly to the churches to say, God has called you to get this right, and if you want to take a back seat, God is going to judge you just as he judged the church in Germany. You're getting this wrong, and the Lord is depending on you to get it right for the sake of the nation and ultimately for the sake of the world.
0: Yeah, and and if your pastor has not read this book, Letter to the American Church, by Eric Metaxas, my good friend that joins me this morning, get a copy and give it to your pastor. And encourage your pastor to speak truth, because you're so right, Eric, that the Christian life and the whole truth of the gospel of Christ and everything that is contained in the Bible that tells us how we should live— is everything that pastors need to be teaching and that includes the whole idea that all of law is inescapably moral and and so when you are confronted with this idea in in society and secular society that unfortunately a lot of pastors have assented to even tacitly some some overtly that we can't push our religion on anyone because it is a choice. We are a free society. So therefore, I can only preach to the people who decide to show up on Sunday. Then we have missed the entire point of what it means to be good citizens and to self-govern. And we've also lost the point of the church. I mean, imagine if parents said, well, I can only talk to my kids and I can only encourage them in the truth when they are in the four walls of the home. But as soon as they step outside into school, into church, into, into something else, then I can't talk to them anymore. I mean, imagine that. It would be ridiculous. Parents are involved in literally every single aspect, hopefully, of their children's lives. And pastors need to encourage people who are part of the church that God is a part of every single thing that we do. And when we say that faith, uh, virtue requires faith and faith uh, requires freedom and, and so on around the triangle, what we're saying is that we have to reject this idea that it's my truth in the four walls of the church, but then it's your truth however you would like to live right. in society. That's right. Because virtue is objective, and there is no way that we can self-govern without a common set of principles and a measurable difference between right and wrong, good and evil, that is enforced in our society. And when it's not enforced— it- you get the chaos today, Eric Metaxas.
1: And the funny thing is, you can have that kind of dead faith in China. You can go to China, and they could say, there's an official church. You can go in there. You can believe and say anything you want in that building. But once you leave that building, you bow to the secular atheist authority of the state. Many pastors in America, and many Christians in America, have, have self-censored along those Marxist lines. They've said, well, in that building on Sunday morning, I do my Christian thing and when I leave. Uh I'm um you know, uh I have to go along with the state, I gotta get the vaccine, I gotta do what I'm told, I gotta not say this on social media. And I think to myself, wait a second, what has happened in America? In America, if your faith does not come out of that building on Sunday morning and affect every part of your life, every day of the week, it is dead faith. The book uh is titled Letter to the American Church but I was going to call it faith without works, is dead. We have acceded to this idea that our faith is supposed to be private. It's not supposed to affect how I vote, if I vote, whether I talk about politics, whether I talk about issues. I'm supposed to just quote-unquote preach the gospel, and you think, no, that is biblically wrong. The Scripture commands us to speak truth to, to uh, denounce evil, to denounce corruption, were to be salt and light in the culture. And these pernicious ideas have been destroying this nation for decades. And it's why I wrote a letter to the American church, because God looks to his church first and foremost to be the voice of truth, to be his voice in the culture. You didn't say, we wouldn't say to William Wilberforce, hey, keep your your anti-slavery views private. That's just a Christian thing. When you leave the church, you know, you're in politics. It's got nothing to do with it. (laughs) You say, wait a minute. Truth is truth. If it's true and it's revealed by God to me that we're all made in God's image, I'm going to speak up uh, for the unborn. I'm going to speak up for this. I'm going to speak up for that. God has commanded me to do that.
0: Thanks so much, Eric Metaxas. And the book is The Letter to the American Church, which will also be a movie later on this year. So stay tuned to Salem Media for that. And what a great way and a great message to start off 2024, thinking about the philosophy of government, the philosophy of freedom. We have to be solely focused and centered on the biblical worldview and the truth of God that never changes. So we'll be back Monday morning with more. You can always read me and my team Jenna at AFR.net. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com/afr and sponsor an ultrasound?